Welcome if you're new and visiting. Uh, we're a church. We love the Bible. We think the Bible is, well, we believe the Bible is God's word. Um, it speaks to us. It meets us where we're at. It is our truth. Uh, and so we read it and preach from it every week. Uh, and this week, we're, this week and next week, we're going to preach from Psalms. And it's sort of like this theme of coming into the new year, how do we experience blessing? Uh, and we're going to see two Psalms that look at what it means to be truly blessed. Psalm 84 and Psalm number 1. And it's, hint, it's not going to be as the world defines it, uh, but it's much better because it's as the Word defines it, as our Lord defines it. Uh, and the two Psalms are kind of more on the strong, positive, upbeat, encouraging. But most of the Psalms are actually on the lamenting, suffering side of things. Um, so we're going to look at some lamenting Psalms later in the year, but just to give you an idea. And then next week, I'm not preaching. Mr. Pettit, who's the tall man up there, he's going to have a preach um, on Psalm number one. So get ready, get excited for that. But for today, let's jump into Psalm 84. And I'm excited to preach this Psalm this morning because... It's just, it like, it preaches itself. So all I got to do is like get out of the way and let the Lord speak. And I hope that as we read it even, you'll start to get an appetite for the Lord and meeting with him. So Psalm 84. To the choir master, according to the Gatith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. And no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we pray and ask that you would bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This psalm is a bit of a pilgrimage destination psalm. As he, as he looks ahead to where he wants to be, you get this sense of anticipation and longing. Um, and as we're in a, the summer holiday period, it kind of got me thinking about like, where is your ideal holiday destination that you think, if I just get there, I'll be blessed. You know, hashtag blessed would be the Instagram tag you'd put when you got there. Uh, for me and my family, it's a camping place just down south near Ulladulla called Burrell Pines. And it's the kind of place, it's cheap as, um, it's full of beautiful uh, trees and then the 
beach. Once you walk through the bush path, you're there, and it's a beautiful crystal kind of clear beach with some waves if you want them, but there's rocks, and it's kind of perfect. You know, it's the ideal location for us. And so when I think of going to Burrell Pines, you know, my heart starts to go, ooh, you know, that's, a, that's an exciting thought. Now, you have to do all the annoying stuff, which is pack the car for camping and get ready and drive three and a half hours. But as you start to get in the car and you've packed it and you're making your way down and you've stopped at Berry, you've had your coffee and your donut van and then you press on, you get to Ulladulla, you pause again, you fill up the esky with ice and meat and food and drink. Then you get to Burrell, you sign in, you drive down the dirt road and then you find a spot amongst the 3,000 people who are also there because it's the best campsite. And you get there, you set up your tent, you pull out your chair and then you sit down, open a drink and ah. Uh, that's the feeling, you know. That's the feeling of just relaxation, joy, and blessing. You know, what is your place like that? When you think of like the ultimate family holiday or think back to your ultimate family holidays, where were they? What, you know, what kind of path did you take to get there, the journey? Well, this psalm is a psalm where the psalmist is thinking of those times. You see, the psalmist doesn't likely live in Jerusalem. It's potential that he's actually outside of the temple area. And so he's thinking of the times when he and his family would make pilgrimage to Zion, where the temple is. And he starts to imagine the caravans of people and the family gathering town by town, the food, the drink, the festival. But more than all of that, for the psalmist, when he thinks of the ultimate place he wants to be, his heart goes to the temple of God. And not because he's an architectural enthusiast and he likes the joinery and the stonework and the tapestries. But he wants to get to the temple because of who is there and who he will meet when he gets there. And so this psalm is a psalm of crying and longing to get to the temple of God, to meet with God and enjoy his grace and favor. And the point of this psalm, it's not just a psalm for him, it's a psalm for the people of God and for us, is to whet our appetite to meet with God. To have, you know, the, the feelings I have for camping at Burrell, to that going to church, that meeting with God, that dwelling in his presence would far supersede that. So this psalm, the point of it is to kind of stir cravings in us, that we would be like that psalmist. That we would genuinely look ahead to the Sunday gathering, to dwelling in, in his presence with that kind of anticipation and delight. One commentator said it like this. He said, the purpose of singing this psalm is to cultivate that delight. To open the eyes and hearts of God's people to the staggering privilege of being a welcome guest in God's own house. And to write deep into their souls the conviction that wickedness offers no reward that can even remotely compare to the joy and pleasure of God's house. Isn't that great? You know, as you read that, you think, ah, I want this to be me. I want this to characterize 2020 for me and my family and for my church family. I want this for us. And so as we unpack the word today, uh, I, I'm trusting that the Lord will stir these affections in you for dwelling with him. Whether you currently are already, you know, stoked to be here or you're like, ah, church, yeah, if I have to, I'm on roster. <laughs> Wherever you're at, I'm hoping that the Lord will meet you um, as we preach. So three points today. Um, the, the psalm is structured in kind of four verses, four verses, four verses. And each of the four verses has a, a blessing. It says, you know, 
blessed is the one who, blessed is the one who, blessed is the one who. And so today, the main idea that I want us to get from it is this. True blessing, that is supreme happiness, is experienced by passionately pursuing God. I think that's what the psalmist is trying to communicate and trying to model and trying to stir up in his people. And three points. We're blessed by dwelling with God. We're blessed by seeking God. And we're blessed by trusting God. So, you excited? Let's join in to point number one. We are blessed by dwelling with God. Let me read the first, four ver- or the first two verses again. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy. Or another translation, they cry out to the living God. The psalmist here is saying that true blessing is experienced by joyfully entering the presence of the Lord. He longs not for the temple itself, but for the God who dwells in the temple. And you can see the passion. You can see the excitement. You can see the, you know, the, the mood, the affection that he has for dwelling with God. It's not routine or duty. It's whole of life, whole of being kind of love and devotion. His soul longs and faints. That's a powerful image. His whole, it's like his body is internally writhing because he wants to get there. He doesn't want to miss out. He wants more of God, and God dwells in the temple, so he wants to be in the temple. So why is this the case? You know, as we kind of jump in, I've already started pretty passionately, excitedly, and you might be like, oh, I don't know where I'm at, you know. Church is good, or, you know, I come when I can, you know, two and four ain't bad, you know, that kind of mentality. Like, why is the psalmist, what is in his head that makes him like this? Why does his heart faint and long and cry out for God? It's because of who God really is. Another psalm expresses this really well. Psalm 1611 says this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, that's in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So the psalmist is aware that because of who God is in his eternal supreme being and deity, if he is in the presence of God, he will experience fullness of joy. You can't get more full than full. (laughs) So he's like, fullness of joy, and he knows that at God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. Full joy, unending pleasure. That's what you get when you truly meet and experience God. And that's why the psalmist is thinking, get me to that place. I want to be dwelling in the presence of the Lord. Does that look like your heart and your soul. Perhaps at times it does, perhaps at times it doesn't. But in any case, you can use this prayer to help train your heart to have the same affection. Fill your mind with the doctrine of God that leads you to really want to be in his presence and experience his power. Now, for us, the the temple, you know, doesn't exist. There's only a wall left of like the third version of the temple that the Israelites built. For us, the 
dwelling in the presence of God occurs every day because we have the Holy Spirit in us. But we experience dwelling in the presence of God in a unique way when we gather right now. You see, God promises to bless and dwell with his people when they gather in his name. And so there is and ought to be a different experience of the Lord that we have when we gather than we would if we never gathered at all. Ephesians chapter 2 has taught us this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. That's us. We're growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And the you there is plural. So when we gather as a church, we're experiencing what the psalmist experienced in the temple. God is dwelling in our midst through his Spirit in his people in a particular and perceivable way that we wouldn't have if we didn't come to church this week. And so as we come and look forward to each Sunday, we can come with this expectation that God will meet us here. And therefore, we can have an increased anticipation and preparation for the Sunday gathering because we know we will experience His fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore when we dwell in His presence. So who can experience this? Is this just for the elite, you know, the type of person that can write a psalm? They get a special, you know, outpouring of God's presence and pleasure. Well, read on in verse 3. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. You see, the temple courts were open. You, you know, there were parts that you couldn't get into, but there were many parts that were open to the actual elements. And so the psalmist is, he so wants to be in the temple that he's now thinking of the little birdies that are kind of making their nests up in the upper reaches, thinking, man, they are so blessed. Even they get to be in the temple. They get to be near the altar where the sacrifices for sin are made. They get to be continually hearing the songs and the, the prayers of his people. They get to be worshiping all the time. I wish I was like a sparrow or a swallow in the temple of God. And the truth is, because of God's mercy and grace, anyone who humbly repents of their sin can enter and can experience his presence and his pleasure. You see, the, the sparrows and the swallows were at the altar of God. They, they actually had this private little perch where they could see the sacrifices being made. And the altar of the Lord is the only hope that we have. The only chance that we have for actually accessing this presence of God is because there's an altar. Now, the altar of the Old Testament, they would sacrifice bulls and rams and goats and all manner of things to appease God's wrath for their sin, but it was only ever a shadow for the real thing. Hebrews 10 says it like this. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never really take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be a made footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected perfected for all time those who are being sanctified here's the truth each one of us 
can dwell in the holy God's presence as his beloved child because he sent his own son to die on the altar of the cross to perfect us so that no guilt or sin or shame will stick to us and we can approach the throne of grace with boldness and confidence every Sunday and every day because of that altar that the sparrows look upon. Except our altar is the cross of Christ 2,000 years ago. So who can enjoy the presence of the Lord? Who can dwell in the house of the Almighty? Anyone on any race, any background, any level of sin can enter in if they come through the altar of Christ on his cross and admit their need for him. So in this first point, in this first little section, like the first, if you see the little word salah there, this kind of pause, the psalmist is saying this. In verse 4, he summarizes it. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. You want blessing this year, friends? Dwell in the house of the Lord much. Make it your anticipation and preparation each week. Center your life around the local church and around this gathering. Open your heart. Open your mind. Open your wallet. Open your time for the people of God. And you will experience true blessing. You'll miss out on sleep-ins. You'll miss out on maybe a Sunday Lord of the Rings, all three movies binge session. Okay, you'll miss out, but you'll experience true blessing because of who is in the temple, the Lord himself. True blessing is experienced by those who passionately pursue God. And in this case, by dwelling in his presence. But what do we do when we're not here? You know, Sunday is the best day of the week, I believe. And one of my mentors, CJ Mahaney, says at the end of every service, I wish tomorrow was Sunday, you know, (laughs) which is a great way of saying, but what do you do when tomorrow isn't Sunday? Um, That's where the psalmist gets to in point two. We are blessed by seeking God. And as I said, the psalmist is likely not in Zion at the time. He's not in Jerusalem, the, temple, uh, the city of David, in, where the temple is. He's likely off, away, thinking about, planning, when can I get to the temple next? And so he's, he writes about the pilgrimage of what it would have looked like for the peoples to gather and move towards coming into the temple. And he writes to give them a song to sing so that as they make their journey, they can have something to teach their hearts what they ought to do. So this is our song, Tuesday through Saturday. Now, verse 5 through 7. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. He's talking now to the pilgrims as they look ahead. And 
I don't know if you've ever been to a Katoomba convention up in the mountains, but it kind of feels like a pilgrimage every time you go up the mountains to Katoomba. And there's a big shed there where about a couple of thousand Christians can gather. And we used to go as a youth group. And I remember the pilgrimage to Kick. It was called Katoomba Youth Convention with a K on the end. I guess it sounded better. And every year we'd go in April. It would be cold. And you just imagine that, that trip up the mountains with the Macca stop on the way and the accommodation and getting out into the nature and that anticipation of meeting with God. And so it's kind of like that. That's what it was like for the Israelites. Every year, three times a year at least, they had to come back to um, Jerusalem to worship in the temple. And for many of them, it would be a long and arduous journey. There'd be desert, you know, remember it's Israel. It's a desert, a lot of the place. And so there were lots of hard points along the journey. So how did they get there? And what did they do when they weren't in the temple? Well, The psalmist says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. He's saying to them, seek God while you're away from his presence, and you will be blessed. These kind of two sentences here, he's saying this, seek God by depending on him for your strength. So when you're absent from the temple, seek God by depending on him for your strength. Find externally the strength you need internally and place your strength in God. That's what he's saying. And if you do that, not in yourself, if you trust not in man, you depend upon the Lord, you will be blessed. And the second way, he says, is seek God by making him your delight. You see, in their heart are the highways to Zion. Their heart isn't going to temple because they have to. They're not being whipped to temple. The blessing only comes when you want to go there. Their heart faints and longs to dwell in the presence of God. And he says, if that is your heart, you are blessed. And brothers and sisters, if that is your heart, and for many, many, many of you, it was a great joy as I prayed through the congregation, prayed the application for the sermon. I was just thinking, man, our church does this so well. This is so reflective of the people that worship here each week. Is Your heart is set. Your heart is the pathway to Zion. You love gathering here on a Sunday. And know this, you will be blessed by God for that. He knows your heart. He knows if you want to be here or not. And for those of you who seek this place and your heart is like a pathway to here, it's like get me onto that road to get to church, there's a blessing for you. And if you make him your strength, there's a blessing for you too. What does it look like? When your strength is in God, when your heart is set on Zion, when you depend and delight, what does it look like? Well, verse 6, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. As they're absent from the temple, they go through the dry and wilderness places, but their heart is so refreshed in the Lord that it's like there's an oasis there. They go through the valleys of life. They go through the times of withholding, the times of barrenness. But because God is their strength and because God is their delight and joy, it's like they're living in an oasis. It, God pleases to dwell and bless and give them a blessing as they seek their heart on him. And so the journey, though, is hard and long and at times dry. There's an inexplicable joy in their hearts and refreshment from the Lord. 
And many, many of you have experienced this. Absent from the dwelling of God's people, suffering through your week as trials and temptation and sickness and relational conflict happen. You go to the Lord and you experience the the dew on the ground somehow. That there is a softening of your heart that ought not to be there. You ought to be bitter, left to yourself, but you're not. There's strength. You ought to be accusing God, but you're not. You're trusting him. That's the Lord's blessing to you. And that's what he promises to his people who seek him while they are far from him. He ends this little section with a prayer because they, uh, they thought of like a lot of prayer would happen in the temple, but he, he wants God to hear his prayer while he's absent. O Lord, God of hosts, and that's repeated four times in this psalm, this God of armies, God of you know, the angelic host. Hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. As I'm absent from you, hear me. Bless our people as we journey towards you. That's point two. We are blessed by seeking God when we are far from him. True blessing is experienced by passionately pursuing God. Final point, point number three. We are blessed by trusting God. As we come to the last four verses, verses 9 through 12, we reach really the crescendo of this psalm. This is a joyful, powerful psalm, but now it kicks into the last notch of hymn and praise because the psalmist is anticipating even more time dwelling with God. But he's also comparing to what life could be without God. And the comparison, rather than leading him to regret, leads him to more joy, as we will see. So let's read verse 9 and 10. In verse 9, it's sort of a break. It kind of doesn't really look like it fits, but it's this this prayer for the the king, really, um, for the king of the land to to be blessed and to have God's favor on him. Um, We don't have an Israelite king anymore. We have King Jesus who fulfills this. And oh, how the Lord answered this prayer for Jesus. So we'll read verse 9, and then we'll focus our time on verse 10. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. That's the prayer for the king. And verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. You see, for the psalmist, it's as simple as that. Once he's fixed his theology of God, of how good God is in his presence, his fullness of joy, at his right hand are what? Pleasures forevermore. Once he knows that about God and he knows he can access God in the temple, the choice is simple. One day in the temple, in God's presence, is better than a thousand elsewhere. One day serving as the lowliest person in the temple would be better than to be in the highest place in the world. He'd rather be nothing in the temple of God than everything in the world. It's powerful. It's instructive. It makes me want to be like the psalmist. It makes me want to have that as my desire. The question for us, though, I think it's good to reflect on that. Is that true for us? In your heart of hearts, is one day in the house of the Lord, in his courts, better 
than a thousand elsewhere. Would you really rather be on welcoming or clean up every week than super famous, rich, celebrity, influencer, Instagrammer person? You know, I mean, maybe that's not your thing. That's not my, I wouldn't want to be that. But whatever it is, would you really want that if you could get that, if you had to make the choice? Or put it like this. Imagine this. I said this to the youth group back at the other church. I said, and it kind of like rocked their world a little bit. But I said, imagine... I've got a check here for $10 billion. I'm offering it to you, but you are never allowed to go to church again. Would you take it? $10 billion. Pretty sorted. But you're never allowed to go to church and meet with God's people again. Where your heart sits on that one will determine whether or not you're with the psalmist. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Now, don't feel guilty if your first thought is, I'll take the check. I'm running. I'll have my pub. I'll have my, I'll have my quiet time. I'll be fine. Ten billion. Church is good, but not that good. Okay. Don't feel too guilty. But assess yourself. Assess your doctrine of who God is and what church is. And maybe reassess it in light of who he is and what he's doing when we gather and dwell in this place. Or perhaps maybe uh, $10 billion seems unreasonable. What about this? Let's, so uh, one day in your courts, a thousand elsewhere. So a thousand elsewhere is three years, roughly. So I can offer you, I got lots of offers today. <laughs> I can offer you a three-year, all costs included, tourism trip around the world to any locations as often as you want, wherever you want to go, all expenses paid. But in those three years, you're not allowed to go to church or worship with God's people anywhere. Would you take the ticket? Yeah. It's hard. But what the psalmist here is trying to inspire in God's people is that it really actually is better to forsake all that the world has to offer and to get God. That's what he wants to say. Better than dwelling in the tents of wickedness. How can he say that? How can he really actually truly say that? Like He's not lying because he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So how can the psalmist really believe that? Well, he gives some reasons in verse 11. And so if you're not really believing that, let these words sink into you. Verse 11, for the Lord God, so these are the reasons for, that gives an indication of reason. The Lord God is a sun and shield. Okay, that's first. The Lord bestows favor and honor and no Good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. How can the psalmist really desire the courts of the Lord over a thousand elsewhere? Well, because God is a son. That means that God is the light of his life. That means that all blessing and honor, true blessing and honor, comes from the Lord. The sun gives light. The sun gives, you know, protection. Things, better things happen in the day than in the night. And God is a son to those who trust in him. So he's like, I'll take God. And God is a shield. He's a defender against all evil. 
the source of all good and the defender against all evil. That's what you get if you choose God. And then he bestows favor. That is, he bestows grace upon grace to those who seek him. And honor, true glory. The glory that we will receive when he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You chose me. Enter into my joy and let's feast forevermore. He bestows that upon those who choose him. And finally, the third reason, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing. Now that sounds nice, but it also sounds challenging when you compare your life to what you define would be a good thing for you and the reality of what you walk in. No good thing? Really? Well, to kind of make sense of what he means there, and this really is a promise, and because God is sovereign, he can actually make it happen. What he's saying there is, if you walk uprightly and blamelessly, if you are pursuing God, and for every true Christian, you are upright and blameless as you walk in God's steps. You cannot continually walk in sin and be a Christian in persistent, habitual sin, where you love the sin more than God and never feel any conviction of that sin. If that's you, consistently walk in sin, no conviction, you're probably not a Christian. Because you have the Holy Spirit. You have God blessing and dwelling with you. And if it is you and you claim to be a Christian, repent of your sin, give up that sin and pursue God again so that you can experience what he's saying here. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now, we're not saved by our upright walking. But God does attach blessing to pursuing him. And what he means by no good thing is not what we define as a good thing. It's what he defines as a good thing. Now, he is sovereignly good. And he knows the end from the beginning. And he knows what is truly good for us, no matter the circumstance. George Muller, who is a um, 18th or 19th century Christian man, preached on this verse at his wife's funeral. He was a man who lived by faith and not by sight. All money, all, you know, everything for all of his orphanage work, for thousands of children, he never asked for. He only asked God, and God always provided. He lived by faith completely. Yet his wife died of rheumatic fever. He had asked God, God, please heal my wife if it be your will. But because there's no promise in the Bible of physical healing on this, in this earth, he, never, you know, he was never guaranteed that God would say yes to that answer of prayer. And so George Muller read this to his wife and then preached it at her funeral, saying that no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly and blamelessly. And he said before the congregation, as far as I know, I walk uprightly and blamelessly. I do not set my heart on sin. I am walking in righteousness as I can as a Christian. So therefore, I must trust that the Lord taking my wife was not, a, you know, him healing her was not a good thing for me. Now that is trust and faith in the sovereignty of God. That is trust and faith in the character and goodness of God that you can look at the death of your beloved wife and he loved her deeply. He said to her, every time I saw your face, I found delight. And yet he could look and say, even taking my wife away, was God not withholding a good thing? 
And that's true for us. The things that we want most and don't get, God is not holding out on us. He's not. He's not just going, ah, I've blessed you too much. I'm going <laughs> to take some back. In his sovereign will and care for you and your soul and his glory, he apportions his blessing as to what is good for you ultimately. And praise God for many unanswered prayers that we have prayed when we thought it would be good and then we look back and go, that would not, she would not have been good or <laughs> that would not have been a good purchase and thank you for not giving me that blessing. But it's obviously much harder when those things are the loss of a loved one. Hopes dashed, relationships dashed, death. This opportunity to trust in his sovereign goodness and to believe this promise. Brothers and sisters, no good thing does he withhold from you. No good thing. No good thing if you seek him. And how do we know truly that he will withhold no good thing sounds you know just like platitudes it'll all be okay we know that he will withhold no good thing because he hasn't withheld the best thing from us you see he gave us his son he gave us jesus he sent him to die in our place for our sins and jesus is our greatest good and God did not withhold him. Jesus came as the true, upright, and blessed man. He longed for the courts of the Lord and dwelt in his presence. His strength was in God alone, and in his heart were the highways to Zion. He was the Lord's anointed. He experienced God as a son and a shield. Better was one day in God's courts than a thousand elsewhere. Jesus was the perfect one that we are not. Yet he was sacrificed on an altar in our place, for our sins, that we might be brought to God so that no good thing would be withheld from us. And so as you look and maybe doubt in the sovereignty of God, know this, he has not withheld his son from you. Therefore, he will withhold no good thing. And you can trust him. You can trust him with everything you've got. Take it all to him, knowing that he's already given you the best. We've been in Romans 8 already today, but let me read Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We demonstrate our trust in God by what we take delight in and what we abstain from taking delight in. And verse 12 says this, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This year, brothers and sisters, do not dwell in the courts of wickedness. Walk uprightly and blamelessly. Pursue the Lord. And you will experience the answer to these things. You will be blessed. You will have no good thing withheld from you. Every prayer will be answered yes or better. That's what this psalm is saying. Because God blesses those who passionately pursue So as we come to the end of our time now in this sermon, I want, I want to know, don't actually reply, but I want to know for us, has this wet your appetite for God? Has this cultivated a longing to dwell in His presence, in His courts? Has this made you want to seek Him for your strength? Do you go from strength to strength if you pursue God? 
Has it made you want to trust in him this year? Because he withholds no good thing from those who trust in him. Do you really want to be blessed this year? Then set your pilgrimage, not on burrow pines, though maybe we should all go there as a camping trip. That'd be great. Set your heart on him. And this psalm is a promise that you will experience that reality. Make Sunday your anticipation and your preparation. Don't wait till Sunday at 9.30 a.m. to start preparing for church. Start on Monday. Start praying for church. Start anticipating what the Lord might do. Start praying for the congregation. Start praying for people. Start praying for yourself. And we will experience this blessing as we passionately pursue him this year. Would you join me in prayer? Lord God, we thank you that we are blessed by dwelling in your presence. We thank you that we are blessed by seeking you for our strength. Lord, we, are, we thank you that we are blessed by trusting in you. We thank you that we can actually trust in you because of what you've done for us. We thank you that you've withheld no good thing from us ever in our life and you never will. Lord, we plead with you as your little sheep, Help us to passionately pursue you this year and to experience fullness of joy forevermore and pleasures at your right hand. Meet with us every week this year, Lord, and help us to love you when we're absent. Be our vision, our delight, our greatest treasure. Please, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.